0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's John Bam Bam the Dog. Uh, First, on behalf of both of us and everybody from the Real Ones team, I just want to sincerely thank you guys for for, for tuning in. The folks that I bring on the show, they're family to me. And uh, being able to tell their stories and bringing you into their world is something I'm I'm just super proud of and, uh, again, grateful that you guys tune in. We've decided we want to take things just a step further. We're going to introduce a Patreon community. And basically what that means is if you become part of this community, look, I already bored Bam Bam. If you wanna become part of this community, you're gonna be able to hear episodes early and all that, ad free and all that good stuff. But there's all this behind the scenes footage, all this stuff that we've shot, Um, that really brings you into the folks that we've had on the show, really brings you into their world. You're going to be able to do live chats with me and the folks that I bring on the show to talk about their world, talk about the issues that they're dealing with, about their triumphs and their tragedies. Just go to Patreon slash Real Ones. This whole idea was um, something about building bridges and and bringing people together and um, bringing folks that often don't get the mic and and giving the mic to them. So the fact that you guys tune in means the world. Anyways, again, thank you. Uh, Be good to each other out there. Rock and roll. I'm going to get a workout in a little bit with my man Eric Linden, you know, stunt coordinator from The Punisher. He's coming all the way up because we're about to get after it. And when that's done, he asked me in the car, are you going to have my shake ready? And I know what that means. Am I going to have my Sun Warrior shake? They've got the active protein, but they also have this collagen protein, which is amazing. They also have uh, the Warrior blend, which is a little bit lighter if you're trying to cut. And uh, I believe in it. I believe in that Sun Warrior stuff. Go to www.sunwarrior.com slash realones for 15% off. I appreciate y'all. In case you missed that from John, it's www.sunwarrior.com slash
1: realones. Use the code realones anywhere on the Sun Warrior site for 15% off the best plant proteins on the planet.
0: If you ever wanted to do you know, your show here, I think, you know, we could do that play in conjunction. We could both, you know, we, we, we could do it kind of back
1: to back. That, that would, it would be, uh, be really uh, cool. Uh, really uh, cool. And I, you know, I'd be honored to work in the same venue, uh, so to speak with you. I mean, you've For been me too, super brother. successful, man. Oh, thanks, and man. Uh, like I told you earlier, you're now, I've given you the title of the guy that's in every movie that's ever <laughs> been made now. Uh, that used to be Robert Patrick's <laughs> Robert title, Patrick. but it's yeah. you yeah. now. You yeah. 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 Uh, it, it's funny. Did you feel like one role pushed you over the top? Uh, and you know, what was that role? Now, uh, I'm doing the interviewing now. Yeah. yeah hey man, what, <laughs> hey, it can be
0: whatever it can be. I, you, you know, Joy. I think, um, You know, I don't know. I I, I think uh, for me, you know, we were talking about your experience over over in Spain that you just had. You know, there's so many times, I think, in in the beginning of my career. First of all, the beginning is all just, you know, clawing and scraping and crying in your pillow because it's never going to fucking happen. Why was I born with this big fucking nose? Why my ears look like goddamn Dumbo the elephant and shit? and, And uh but
1: but that's part of the qualities that make you stand out.
0: Well, look, man. I think I think you know. I I think I'm that not saying you got big. Ears. I think no, 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 man. Don't <laughs> worry, don't worry. It, no, it's not that. It's just that I, you know. I I think that you know. There's a long time where you just for me where it was a real a real struggle and it wasn't look like it was going to happen. And you know the truth is I'm just as hungry now as I I, I was then. Um, and I, I think that's. Part of your success, I, I would imagine. For I, I would imagine for all of us, I think. Yeah. I think like hunger and drive and being right. humble. And I, you know, I, I you know, eventually when we're going to actually get into this interview and talk about you is what I want to talk. But like, <laughs> I'm sure you, you probably had a lot of that same thing. Sure. But as far, yeah. as far, I think. I think you know, with with this thing, because you you, you know, you're you, you're an entertainer as well. Yeah. You, you know, I I think there's this misconception that there's going to be this one thing that's going to break you through. And every time I felt. Oh man, this one audition—like it, it all comes down to this. Like I gotta get this, or oh now I got this, and this is gonna break me through. It never really happens. I, I, I think it, it it's uh it's much more about um you know your work ethic and 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 and, and who you are while wh- you're working and and what you stand for and not compromising, not changing who you are. Right. And over time, I think people. Both the audience, but but also your, your your peers and your colleagues say, you know, that motherfucker works hard. He shows right. up. He brings the best out of everybody. He doesn't complain. He doesn't. You know, he's always striving to make it better. And so, look, I think I think everything in my life kind of changed around Walking Dead, um, but I think a lot of that was also because I I, I really became a new man and I was focused on right. on different things. You know, know,
1: not changing who you are, is maybe the most difficult aspect of getting notoriety of whether whether you're famous or infamous uh, right. of, of not changing who you are and not losing the vision that you have uh, because you know you, you create that vision and you follow it and sometimes you have to alter it uh, uh, with the times it's every decade you know I have a child from every decade wow. and uh, each child is different I bet to the decade I bet. you know I and bet. Uh, I uh, gauge uh, uh, how the world is changing by how they perceive things, wow, uh, think back to my my daughter, who's a criminal lawyer, yeah. got me out of she many represented jams. you, she got me out of many jams, and uh I go back to her she's fifty one now wow, to my youngest nineteen, you know, and uh, he has a completely different uh perspective of things, but it seems to be circling back uh you know my oldest daughter's somewhat conservative uh-huh. uh. My other two children, uh, more liberal, and my youngest is circling back more conservative. I had a a really uh, great lawyer, Barry Tarlow, was a uh, criminal lawyer. He's passed away. Rated one of the top ten lawyers in the world, and uh, you know he said uh, uh, things pivot back and forth like a pendulum. Mm, mm. You know, society does, mm. uh, interests do uh, mm. with people. And uh, I kind of got off track, but uh, no, I've
0: I, but I've heard that yeah. exact thing. You know, yeah. it's funny. We, you know, one of the one of the first guys I had on here is a is a, um, a cop from East Baltimore. Grew up in East Baltimore. He's one of the most sort of legendary cops, uh, you know, drug cops and street cops, been a plainclothes guy forever in Baltimore. He's one of these guys, I I did a ton of ride-alongs with him, when I was out there on the street with him. He's one of those guys that all the cops kind of look up to and respect, but also all the guys on the street do as well. Right, sure. uh, That's a difficult position to to fucking get in. Exactly, but like, he says the same thing about the pendulum, and he talks about specifically with crime, and and with sort of like, you know, being sort of a liberal agenda on crime, be tough on crime and how it goes back and forth. You know, you, you said something a second ago about, you know, the hardest thing to do is sort of remain staying who you are. And, you know, you're such a uh, fascinating guy to me for so many different reasons. But, you know, I imagine for you that doing that specifically, you know, when we met, I think we met outside the gym. We did. For the yeah. first time. And I saw you walking and and like, you know, I think we had walked by each other a couple of times. We kind of gave yeah. each other a head nod. And I was like, I don't know who that guy is. But that's a real like they, they, that. That guys no, But there was something about like the way you 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 handled yourself, and then when we got to talking, and I heard, wow, okay, that's one of the most, you know, one of the most infamous, you know, Hell's Angels of all time. And he ran the Ventura chapter, and he was one of the leaders in the in the whole organization. And then, you know, and 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 then I heard, you know, you're out of the club now, and I am. I, yeah. I, I I can't. You know,
1: made a and, lot of people unhappy
0: exactly yeah. and 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 I've heard that as well and I imagine like being your, just I, I really obviously I, I want to go through your journey and what you're about but being yourself, are you are you the same guy now that you were then and 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 and, and how have you how have you managed that
1: i I believe I am the same guy I'm a little bit more seasoned, uh, a little bit more educated uh, uh, and you know the pivotal point for me was. We were becoming the people we rebelled against, and that's just something that I couldn't stay on board for. And uh, how
0: so specifically? Well,
1: initially, when I came around the Hells Angels, the question mark, the Saint and Slaves, Gallop and Goose, all these different Southern California bike clubs, who were initially World War II veterans. That's you know, the whole Southern California was really the birthplace for. Uh, uh, the whole outlaw bike scene. And, you know, it's a phenomena that has spread all around the world now. And uh, it was kind of a live and let live uh, attitude. And uh, I think that uh, as people develop money and power, uh, it uh, affected them and not always in a good way.
0: What specifically, because I know you went and you, you, you sort of laid down your patch, and you were the longest – you were the longest you, – you, you Sort of serving
1: president, president uh, charter president, in, right in the uh, in the Hells Angels, yeah, in, I, the, I, I in was the history, thirty five years uh, leader of first in Los Angeles, which was a real experience because uh, in the midst of my tenure down there, we got in a war with the Mongols, which was uh, no joke. I mean, you know, it's interesting. People, I was a Marine, and you know, worked for the Department of Defense afterwards, and you know, people would say, "Well, did you know? Did you have you ever? Did you go to war?" And I said. Well, I didn't go to war in Vietnam, but I went to war in Southern California.
0: And, and and look, man, there's nothing here where I want, you know, I'm not after like salacious, like you, you know, but, but what, we're just I, talking. John. No, no, I know, brother, you know, I'm just really curious. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Mel Chansey, you know what I mean? Sure, and, well, yeah. and, uh, you know, like, but, but this is a world, man, I grew up in DC. Uh, right. you know, we didn't have, the, the, I had no, until I kind of came out here, I had no real exposure to this world, have fre- friends in it. I've, I've known guys on all sides of everything. Sure. It's a, it's a, 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 big thing that I'm sure you believe in as well. I, yeah. I, I got, I, I judge people only by the content of their character. Absolutely, I, you, you know. And I,
1: I have a lot of police officers that I consider friends. And I was criticized uh, by a lot of club members, even when I uh, was in good standing and at the, you know, peak of my power. A lot of people didn't uh, like the relationship I had, but it was a unique relationship. Back in the 70s and the 80s in Ventura, you know, Ventura Police Department was very small. I knew all the officers. There was an interesting uh, street cop. He worked by himself. His name was Cubic, And he would really expect the Hells Angels to control the street. Yep, yep. And... Uh, uh, you know, they turn their uh, blind eye to a lot of things if it, in fact, helped the community. And the interesting thing about this guy, Kubik, was he was a uh, Green Beret major, and he lived up in the mountains uh, in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came down. He probably could have ran uh, for chief of police at some point. He had a lustrous long career, but he never got any rank, and he never had a partner. he was a solo guy you know just an old school guy and i respected him and he respected us and uh you know that has changed you asked me earlier what has changed that's one of the things that changed was respecting somebody just for them for them what they do and and, and that's the
0: thing i think with this with this podcast that we've been trying to do a lot is you know i sit down sometimes active gang members police on the other side and i say you know, who's a guy in your own community that you really respect? Who's somebody in that guy's community that you really respect? Right. Who's somebody in your own community that you think, you know, kind of just talks a talk, doesn't really walk it? Because the truth is we're all human beings. Right. And I think that, that that it's easy to find these these, these these lines of respect. You usually laugh at the same shit. We all care about our kids, want our kids to be happy. We, we right. you know, um, playing the cards that were dealt. Um, and, and, I, and I think you said something else. Man, I have so many fucking questions for you, man. But. Uh, you know, the thing that you said that this cop specifically in Ventura kind of depended on you guys to keep the police. That's another thing that we sort of keep the peace. I, I, excuse me or to, to um, you, you know, I've, I've lived in Venice for, for a long time and I know you, you have a lot of connections right, to, right. to there too. And um, you know, one thing that sort of happened in the last few years is that uh, the sort of transient Community and the homeless community there has, has has kind of run amok, and and it's become extraordinarily dangerous down on the beach. Right. And there's no, and you know, it was my understanding from living down there. I had a bunch of guys who were involved in that shoreline Crip set down there, and right. a big thing that, that that they were doing was really kind of keeping the peace. You, you know, those 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 shops down on the beach, right. you know, they were paying draft to shoreline, and and that was really. You know that made it a much safer place.
1: It's interesting we, how that works. It isn't is, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm
0: and 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 uh, I, I I know I've heard a lot of people about the roles, uh, the role that the, the the angels have played around here, and uh, but that's a real thing. I mean, yeah. sometimes you need somebody to, had, to come in there. And
1: we had very strict street rules. You know, there was no cooking drugs in Ventura County. Uh, we didn't want any uh, drive-by shootings in Ventura County. And we had sit-down meetings with the street gangs uh, on more than one occasion. And it was interesting. The older cops, their attitude was get it done, keep the community safe any way you can. That's Some right. of the younger cops, I had uh, clashes with them because they said it was none of our business and mm-hmm. we needed to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if we can get the job done where you can't in the public is safer for it. What's the problem?
0: And what is the drive? What is the drive of the angels? You're the president of the chapter. You're, you're like what to not have drive-by shootings in the streets of Ventura, or to not be able to, to not well, cook drugs. Where's that coming from? It, it,
1: co- it cuts with a double-edged sword. You know, first of all, uh, public relations is everything. You know, uh, you want the community to stand behind you because these people are potentially going to be the jurors that judge you if you get yourself into a, oh. a jam. Uh, You know, that was one of the things. uh, And, you know, we wanted community support. And, you know, we had more than one uh, uh, trial, so to speak, in the clubhouse with, you know, different factions of street uh, gangs. And they were willing to let us uh, uh, get involved. You know, can that happen nowadays? I don't know. I don't Mm -hmm. think so, probably. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, there was a time when uh, uh, Ventura Hells Angels had... Held heavy sway on the streets,
0: and, but 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 is it, it is there a part of it also like your kids are there? And, well, and you yeah, <laughs> you yeah care public about safety. Community. You know, yeah. it's
1: the children, uh, 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 it's the uh, people within the community trying to run businesses. Uh, you know, there was a lot of allegations by one of the district attorneys that you know we were extorting businesses. We never took a penny from anybody, and there was also allegations that certain police officers, the FBI, had made allegations certain police officers were on you know my payroll specifically and that never happened you know that they were allegations that never could be proved but you know and back then an allegation like that made by a, a law enforcement uh department uh a federal law enforcement agency held a lot of uh clout you know sure. people but there's been a lot of things over the years where you know now people question uh uh, certain things. But, uh, you know, they, these allegations back then ruined some of these guys' careers. You yeah. Know. I bet. And, uh, uh, it wasn't fair. And it was because, uh, certain actions, I had a, a cop named Butterbean who was, uh, just a street cop mm-hmm. and the district attorney wanted him to wire up. They wanted uh, him to come in and, uh, trick me uh, with some questions and, uh, you know, rather than do that, now this is integrity. Rather than do that, the guy retired. What was that behind? Why did he do that? Why did he retire? Yeah, why did he not? Wh- why was
0: he adverse to doing
1: that? Because I think he was an honorable man. And it boils down to you were talking earlier about uh, staying on track and specifics. It's just like myself when I made the decision to leave the club, it took me two years. And uh, uh, it's difficult to be at the top of your game. And walk away from it because you don't believe in it anymore, and that's basically what happened. You know, I wanted to stay true to myself. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, uh, I don't want to glorify any of the actions of uh, what I did, Hells Angels under my tenure, but I don't want to apologize for it either. There you it go. Was what it was, and it go. is what it is. There you go. And uh, you know, I stand behind uh, the things I did. There's some things I did I'm not happy about. Some things uh, in Los Angeles, uh, maybe if I'd been a a more tenured leader, I would have been stronger in my opposition to things. But you live and learn, you know, and sometimes those those events are catastrophic. I mean, I've
0: talked to to Mel uh, a a good bit about the outlaw wars in in Chicago,
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) and uh, They came from Chicago. The Chicago outlaws came here to kill me. You know,
0: what, was it, uh, what was that about?
1: Well, <clears throat> I had been negotiating with uh, TACO, the international leader of leaders of the outlaws, and uh, the, we had put a moratorium on the violence. There was no more shootings. Uh, uh, we were trying to negotiate uh, a settlement. <clears throat> I went to him unannounced. I just showed up. Where'd Have you a, go? I went, uh, I was in Terre Haute, Indiana, at a prison bike show. And the Hells Angels and the Outlaws in the prison put this bike show on together. I went there. I was one of the guys from the street that went.
0: Because in the prisons, the bike gangs they, they don't fight. You, you you don't fight in prison.
1: You yeah. got to you. you you're, you're, you're that was always car. my uh, position: is we're not fighting in prison. Why, why are we, we fighting, fighting the on street? the street? Right. Well, we have everything we want.
0: And is the reason you're not fighting in prison is because? Wh-
1: wh- wh- why do you, why is well, that? Well, I think because of the confinement. I think out of respect. Uh, uh, if you were fighting on a daily basis, they'd shut the prison yard down. I'm sure the other prison gangs would uh, uh, not be happy with you. You know, you've got the Aryan Brotherhood, uh, the Mexican Mafia, and the black guerrilla family that kind of runs uh, uh, most of the prisons. started here in California and kind of drifted out. And uh, one of the things, when first time I went to prison in 1986, Guy Castellano from uh, San Diego is a very powerful leader in the club uh, back then and remained in the club till he passed away. But uh, I said, when I got there, I was young, you know, young guy, young leader in the Hells Angels. And I said, who do we need to worry about in here? And he laughed, he goes, nobody. And I Mm -hmm. said, what do you mean nobody? He goes, we don't fight in prison. Hmm. I said, we don't fight in prison? He goes, no, he goes, there's Mongols in there, outlaws, banditos. And I said, well, why are we fighting on the street? And he, you know, he, guy was just a character. He goes, "You think too much, man. Just relax." and enjoy it. <laughs> So, so,
0: so, tell me about going to see Taco. What, uh, what, what, well,
1: Stairway Harry, who was a former international leader uh, of, you got to love the names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was the former international leader of the Outlaws. He kind of made a political move with me. We were leaving the prison and shook hands. I said, "Hey, man, it's been a pleasure meeting you, Harry. As I've been hearing about you for years." And he goes, hey, i got a question for you. And I said, okay. And he said, and he was very careful how he structured the question. He goes, the 50th anniversary is coming up in Sturgis. And he goes, how do you feel about us going? He didn't say, we're going, or, you know, he was very structured. Because
0: normally, because what, normally outlaws? Well, were, were, they didn't go to that run. That, that was a, a Hells Hell Angels. Run. Run. That was a Hells
1: angel bandito run. And uh, we shared it with the banditos. Uh, they went there first. And they were gracious enough, you know, when we started showing up in numbers, uh, they didn't have a problem with it. But he was very careful, you know. He said, Respect how do you feel him. about us going? And I said, well, I don't know. I have to think about it. And he goes, you know, tacos right up the street from uh, us about two miles in a motel. And I thought, shit. So I, I just went up there by myself. And I got to the motel. And I walked up. And I see the outlaws looking at me. There's about 10 of them outside. And you're wearing I got my colors on. And I'm, you know, Hells Angels, George Christie. And uh, they surrounded me. And they go, what are you doing, man? And I go, is Taco here? And they go, yeah, but what are you doing here? I go, I want to talk to Taco. And the one guy that seemed to be in charge uh, said, uh, does he know you're coming here? And I go, no. And he just goes, you're a crazy motherfucker. He goes, go get Taco. And one of the guys went in and got him. So I'm standing there, I'm surrounded by these guys. And I don't even remember this gentleman's name. We're exchanging some dialogue. And uh, Taco came around the corner. And like, Taco's guys stopped. He had complete dominance of those guys. And they all turned to look at Taco. And I looked at him and I said, well, he's smiling. I go, That's a good sign. There you go. And we all kind of started laughing. And Taco just shook his head, he goes, what are you doing, man? I said, well, I came to talk to you. And uh, the first thing I said to him, I said, look, I said, I don't know about your club, but our club, there are new members, and they don't even know why we're fighting. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me and smiled. And I said, look, Taco, if you were born in California, there's no doubt you would be a hell's angel. And I said, if I was born in Chicago, I know I'd be an outlaw. I go, we've got so much in common, man. What's the problem? And uh, we just started talking from there. You know, next time you see Mel, yeah. ask him who uh, ask him to tell you about Spike because Spike's the one that, uh, Spike was an ex-Army ranger, uh, I was told, killed four or five Hells Angels back there uh, in a matter of months. And, in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago area, Indiana, Chicago. And, and he pushed uh, Taco back into the war. Taco called me and told me, he said, I'm getting uh, a lot of pressure. And uh, there's a speech that Taco gave uh, that one of the informants eventually flipped on Taco uh, told a reporter, it's, I've got a news article. Uh, I'll, I'll, I should send you, uh, the. I have a book that I wrote about it in. I'll get you a copy. Thank it's you. Very, it's really Thank interesting. You. But he called me, cal- Taco called me, and it was like just two scooter tramps talking one on one, you know, there was no politics, there was no agenda, and uh, I, I that's the last time I talked to him. Uh, uh, maybe the second to the last time I talked to him, and he basically told me, he said, "Hey, man, I'm getting a lot of political pressure," and he goes, "How about on your end?" And I said, "You think I'm popular?" I go, "I'm the most unpopular guy in the club right now," yeah. and I said, "After you and I appeared on the cover of that magazine, I go, man, there's some people hating on me," yeah. and we, you know, we talked and we had a very candid conversation. But uh, apparently I didn't impress him enough because a few weeks later he sent a hit team out here to kill me. Oh, did he? And uh, they showed up here in Ventura. They had a map to my house, pictures of me. They had a. Uh, uh, they were driving a car. One guy flew out. Uh, two guys flew out. One guy drove out. How do you know all this? Police had to come and tell me that there had been a murder attempt on my life that they had foiled. They have a moral obligation. They'll come to you. And uh, they'll say, uh, we have a moral obligation to let you know this is what transpired.
0: When you go to that motel that Taco's at and you're going there, you know all those guys are there. There has been, whether you've been involved, not been involved. We're all involved. If you're a hell's angel, you're involved. Exactly. You're an outlaw, you're involved. In one way or the other, there have been many people who have been beaten and killed because of this war between these two clubs. And you're rolling over there by yourself. Right. And... Uh, there's there's what 15 20 30 guys there who, you know probably at s- least
1: 18 15 whatever 20. it
0: is yeah. Yeah. uh when you're pulling in there you're armed with the fact that you're going there to 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 make peace to be like hey man i'm just looking at you man to man what is that right like what's your mindset going well, in right? i was
1: my position was and i'm going to say something i'm going to comment on it after this statement my position was I was doing the right thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was doing it for the benefit of the Hells Angels, the Outlaws, the outlaw community at sure, large, sure, sure. and and the people uh, around us. Yeah, and uh, I uh, uh, I also felt invincible, John. Do you ever have that feeling? I do. When I was young, man, I just felt invincible, and I I thought nothing could stop me, and. Uh, uh,
0: but can I ask you about that? I mean, like, is, is that, I guess where I'm going is, is, is that invincibility? Was that something that you just blanket you just had with you all the time? Or was that in certain situations, depending upon your intentionality or depending on where your heart was at?
1: I felt like I was uh, invincible at all times. Mm -hmm. I said, I, I'm not my ego. Yeah, yeah, No, I get it. I just, the way I felt, I felt like nothing could stop me. I felt I had right on my side and uh, you know, as you get older, you learn right doesn't always win. That's right. That's But you know, if you know, you you've, you look at the history of these people that took on different uh, cultures, different uh, empires, and whatnot. You know, you look at Hannibal. You know, there's no way he was going to beat the the Romans, but uh, he had to give it a try. Would you
0: feel that way even in the face of of, of real violence? I mean, I know you've you well, you've, you you've, you've you've been involved in real violence. Yeah, real I've been violence. Shot at
1: the clubhouse. Been bombed twice. Uh, uh, you know and that's not the only violence you know like false charges from law enforcement indictments i had a 59 count state racketeering uh, indictment once i spent a year in solitary confinement you know uh, but
0: through and through all of that 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 that, that feeling well, of invincibility you, well, remained
1: no it it starts getting chipped away sure, as you sure, get older sure. and i don't know if you're if you get more sensible uh, or if as the, you know, I'm 75 now, you know, uh, I still try to keep up with my former self, but it's not easy. How know? do you do that? Well, I, you know, I get up every morning, I go walk uh, five uh, miles, uh, you know, I come home, try to eat, uh, uh, eat right. Uh, then, you know, I have another exercise program in the afternoon, you know, I do my uh, aerobic stuff on the treadmill and uh, do a little bit of martial arts stuff and very, very light weights and stretching and uh it matters that to me that was like money in the bank for my future there you go and uh that's what i suggest to people you know you know did a lot of uh, partying when i was younger but i always knew the party had to come to an end mm-hmm. sunday morning the party was over mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. unfortunately a lot of my brothers uh people that are not here anymore in fact uh they're just about all gone uh they didn't uh, uh Pace themselves, if you will. This
0: feeling of invincibility that you're talking about, too. I, I would imagine, you know, you know, going in and, and th- you know, putting your patch down and saying, "I'm out," and then you know, the difference. I, I was. Um, can you just sort of explain? The, well, the...
1: you know, I had been building up to it, building up to it. I didn't discuss it with anybody. Uh, nobody. Absolute uh, uh, solo uh, uh, decision my son uh, was walking up to the door of the clubhouse i i can remember it and I, I i said i need to talk to you son and i put my arm around him and we walked up the street and uh i said i'm hanging it up tonight and he how said, old what? was he probably uh, the late 20s and
0: was he was he a member
1: yeah he was a, member, he was a member and i said i'm hanging it up tonight he goes what and i go look man I said, I've come to uh, terms with a lot of things. And I said, this is not the club I joined. And I said, I just, I can't do it anymore. And uh, I said, you know, people aren't sharing my vision. I go, "Uh, you know, when you are a leader, you share your vision with the uh, people behind you. And when they no longer share that vision, you know, maybe you're not a leader anymore. And I said, it's time for me to reevaluate where I'm heading in this journey Mm -hmm. I'm on. And uh my mind's made up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang it up. So I, I went in.
0: Where was he at with that?
1: He just kissed me and said, you know, hugged me and said, okay, Dad, you know best. I know you know what you need to do for yourself. And he walked in there, and uh, I, uh, now I stood up, announced to the club uh, what I was doing. Uh, initially, they thought that I was stepping down as president. And I said, no, no, that's not what this is. I said, I'm, I'm stepping down. And I, you know, I took my patch off and I folded it like a flag, and uh, I looked around the room and I didn't see anybody I wanted to hand it to. You know, I wanted to exclude my son. I didn't think, uh, it would, you know, he should be part of that decision. And I laid it on the corner of the table, and uh, I said, "If anybody's got anything to say, say it now." And nobody said anything. It was very sad, very emotional. And I'll tell you, the walk. From my chair, I always sat in a, a chair against the back wall. Uh, it was the president's chair. Uh, the walk from that chair to the door, the threshold of the door to let me out was the longest walk I ever took in my life.
0: What's going through your mind, your heart?
1: I'm just thinking, off. man, there's no turning back now, George. You know, you made this decision, you got to live with it. And uh, what does that
0: entail? Like what is in that, well, in that moment, what did you think living with it entailed?
1: I thought that, uh, foolishly, I thought that I would uh, be able to uh, go about my business. Uh, Wasn't sure, John. About a week and a half, I got a phone call uh, from uh, the new uh, president of the charter. uh, And he said, you know, we've been doing a lot of thinking, and uh, we've decided to change your status. You're now out bad. You can have absolutely no contact uh, uh, with any club members and they can't contact you in any way. And I said, well, you know, I said, it's kind of interesting. I said, at least the government always gave me the opportunity to uh, uh, answer to the charges. They go, you guys aren't even gonna give me the opportunity. And he basically he said, that's not, the way, that's not the way Sonny wants it. And Sonny and I had been uh, at odds. And uh, I, uh, despite that, you know, I I respected the man. Till the end. I didn't agree with him. Uh, what very was the, ang-
0: What was the crux of your disagreement?
1: Political decisions. Uh, uh, I guess the biggest uh, disagreement was Sonny felt there were two sets of rules. Rules for the entitled uh, uh, members and then you had your general membership.
0: Can you be a little bit more specific? Like what, what are those different rules? Like what like?
1: He did what he wanted. <laughs> Uh, I, I really, John, I can't make it any more clearer than that. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm working on a new book and uh, defining the differences in our leadership styles. Uh, it's not a, uh, I'm not slinging mud at him. Uh, you know, I got a phone call. Maybe this is going explain it a little bit. I got a phone call the night before he died. You know, I was not allowed to have any contact with any club members, but I have had since I've been gone. People write me and call me, and uh, I certainly keep it in confidence. I don't want to get them in trouble because it was, you know, a kick out out of the club if you got caught communicating with me. And uh, they, he said, uh, person on the other end, you know, he basically said, you recognize with this voice? And I said, yeah. And uh, I, we kind of had bantered back and forth. I teased him. Uh, I said, yeah, it's my rabbi. And, uh, uh, you know, we just... Went back and forth and joking. He said, "I got something to tell you." And I said, "What's that?" He goes, "If you're going to reconcile with Ralph, that's what we, you know, close circle of friends call him. So if you're going to reconcile with Ralph, you better do it because uh, he's not going to last much longer." And I, you know, I stayed up the rest of that night and uh, drinking coffee and thinking, and uh, I decided against calling him because, uh, and this was kind of a selfish decision. I figured that if I called him, we got an argument and uh, he passed away uh, uh during the the discussion i'd get the blame for killing him yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. i'd be a little facetious no, but no, I, but, I but there's it. also some some truth to what i'm saying so I, you know i uh i decided against it and i thought uh you know it's interesting when i when i did the outlaw chronicles the uh, did days and days you know what it's like to film you know you, you do it, you do it, you do it. And then they take the best stuff. uh, And they saved the, uh, uh, last episode, the sixth episode, you know, Sonny and myself uh, for last. And it was really profound. The producer of that show who I have a lot of respect for, uh, when the, when the day was over with, he just looked at me and he goes, you still love that guy, don't you? You respect him. And, uh, he goes, man, he goes, you could have thrashed him. And he goes and I said, there was no reason to thrash him. I go, what he did was what he did, what I did was what I did. Mm-hmm. We're two different leaders with two different styles, but the guy's an icon, you know. I mean, Sonny Barger, man. You know, I was hearing about him in in school, you know, in high school. And the guys I, you know, I hung out with, uh, I hung out with a young outlaw bike club called the Question Marks, who were endorsed by the Hells Angels. I mean, he was a living legend. There's no doubt about it. When, when
0: uh, you're in that room and you give the guys that that speech and you decide to leave the patch on the table, do you love the guys in that
1: room? Sure. Yeah. 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 But the, the- I dream about those guys, John. I mean, I had some profound dreams. I have profound dreams anyways. I always have my whole life. But, uh, you know, I had dreams of the older guys that were, had passed on to the other side, you know, going, I can't believe you did it, man. And then I would have young guys in the dreams coming to me, asking me questions. And I'd go, i go, I, I can't give you the answers. I'm not in the club anymore. And, you know, I would wake up. And, uh, you know, sometimes I wake up violently, you know, violently. Uh, very profound, intense dreams. Uh, I don't have them like I did, but I, you know, I still have, uh, I still have those dreams. When you, know? when you talk about
0: uh, like the 80s and, and being in that LA chapter and the, the war with the The models, 70s, yeah. Or, okay, then the, 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 the 70s. Can you just, uh, I, I know this is something, I know you don't want to do it, uh, you know, something that's been sort of romanticized and people, but like what, you know, just kind of like walk me through what that was like be, being in well, the. Well, first of all,
1: I want to I want to qualify it by saying this: <clears throat> anybody that thinks war is romantic, whatever type of war, N- street war, re- they've yeah. never been in a war exactly because it's not romantic. It's uh, uh, it's stressful. Uh, you don't know uh, when it's going to come. Uh, you know when you declare war on somebody, whether it be on a large basis as if we're a, a country going into another yeah. country uh, because we don't like their culture, whatever it may be, you know, uh, uh, you, you get into situations uh, that uh, you never dreamed you would be, you know. I uh, made some... I was a, just a member initially during, when the war started, and uh, six months into the war, you know, there was uh, already six murders in as many months. Uh, the leader of the charter down there got murdered. It was described uh, as an in-house cleaning by law enforcement. Uh, you know, I've, I've written about it extensively in you know two of my books, uh, but I became vice president. You know, I came in in the middle of a conflict and I had to try to shift the direction of what we were doing. And
0: what was the reason for you rising up the
1: way that you did? Old man, John, who was the leader, uh, after the p- president that took his place, John had been the leader down there. Old man, John was kind of a legend. He was an old man when, uh, I was in my twenties, you right. know, uh, and, uh, I got some pictures. I'll send of you. I mean, he's a character. He, uh, he had a really great picture of him with two pairs of glasses on. This is—he's an old-school dude. Yeah. He had regular, like government-issued glasses, yeah. and. He didn't want to have them. He didn't want to spend the money to have uh, them bifocals. Yeah. yeah. So he put no. He, what he did is he put sunglasses <laughs> over his regular glasses because he didn't want to pay for the tint. No, got, right. got it. You know, it's too much money. I'm not gonna waste my the money on tint. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll just put a pair of glasses over. Yeah. Yeah. And I got this great picture of him uh, looking at his motorcycle with double glasses on. And I post it sometimes on social media, and uh, you know, people like young guys write me. And they go, "Who is this guy, yeah, man? Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he don't care what he looks like." And you know, I right. go. No, man, John didn't care about much. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I guess, you know, he mentored me, you know, and it gave me a lot of sway, and he saw something in me. You got to realize I just got out of the Marines, worked for the Department of Defense, uh, had a structured background, and John was military, uh, former military, World War II, and uh, he just put me under his wing and... uh, when the war started with the mongols, John was very disappointed It was very convoluted a uh, lot of detail to it but in a nutshell uh the war started he wasn't happy he stepped what down what did it, was there a specific yeah we were uh it had been brewing between us and the mongols and uh How so well, first of all, there was a rumor on the street that the mongols started uh because we wouldn't allow any Hispanics in our club, which is a complete lie. You know, David Ortega, who I met in 1966, and we were best friends till he passed away. Uh, you know, he was in the Question Marks, and he was in the Hell's Angels, and you know, he was uh, uh, Mexican American. You know, Johnny Angel from Oakland. You know, he was uh, Mexican. Uh, I could go Fat Ray. I could go on and on and on. So it wasn't true, but you know that that vibe was there. And uh, probably the oldest reason in the world was that one of the Hell's Angels ex-wife was now living with a Mongol, and we went to a swap meet. There was nine of us. There was about forty to sixty Mongols, and we met them by accident. By accident. Where was the swap meet? It was in Santa Ana. And it was the—that's
0: a crazy place to run into somebody. Yeah. So
1: the the it grew, I think it was might have been the Great Western or okay. exhibit or something. So just all happened to be there at the same time. Same time, you know. So Were you the there? I was there. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I got a great story too. I was there, and uh, <laughs> uh, the member mm-hmm. whose wife had run off with the Mongol, their eyes met, and I looked at both of them, and I knew it was on you know, because I knew the history. This guy was my best friend, you know, in the Los Angels. And uh, I uh, looked at him, looked at uh, this guy, Bud, who was now living with us. And, you know, my friend just clocked this guy. You could just, you know what a sock, sock a perfect punch sounds like, yeah. just echoed in there. Totally and uh, it was on, you know, we got in a circle. And uh, they were surrounding us, and we were fighting. Everyone's it, fighting, or just everybody's, yeah, no, everyone, no, everybody's just fighting. In, yeah. Just I mean, the Hell's Angels and the Mongols are sure. fighting. And Jesse, who later became my vice president in Los Angeles when I took over the club down there, and uh, later uh, became a Hell's Angel here in Ventura, uh, fell down. This big Mongol hit him, and he fell down. And he, I kind of looked out of the corner of my eye and. He had his arms spread out, and there was a motor sprocket gear there. And, And motor sprockets are about this big with spikes on it and a hole in the center. He hooked it on his hand, he jumped up, and he just started hacking people. And there was blood and flesh flying and people screaming and, you know, everybody fighting. And in the middle of all this, imagine a young, scared police officer, uniform oh, uniformed fair. police officer. There was one <laughs> uniform. Santa,
0: Santa Ana police officer. W-
1: one, one uniform for the whole event. You know, uh, this is 1976 or 77. So one uniformed officer, and he comes in, and he's got his revolver drawn. Now, he's only got six shots. He's got a revolver, you know, service revolver, and he's yelling at everybody, and we're all looking at each other. And this gun looks about this big. Of did, he, course. did he
0: put it? Did he put a stop to it first? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah it stopped. Yeah. Everybody stopped, and so the when they when we stopped, the Mongols broke. And I'm not saying they broke and ran because uh, they were scared, because these guys weren't scared. Uh, it they stopped, they broke and ran. We broke and ran, and so everybody's getting away, you know. And uh, I uh, I ran out. And there was a Mongol. The fight had stopped now, and there was a Mongol, and he goes, "What the hell's going on?" And he's like yelling at me, and there's like the cops started kind of. There was more cops like starting to come around. I don't know if they were outside or what. It happened so fast, and I said, "You don't know what's going on." He, you know, this I'm young, and you know, I'm a Hell's Angel, and I'm in my twenties, and I think I'm cool. And uh, I go, "You don't know what's going on." And he goes, "No, what's going on?" And I go, "This is what's going on." And I smacked him, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we started fighting. Yeah. And the cops started beating on us, yeah. both of us with the club. And the Satan slaves who were like, I, you know, I came that close to becoming a Satan slave rather than a Hell's Angel. I was so close with those guys. They got around the cop and they said, don't hit that Hell's Angel. They go, hit the Mongol. And so the cops, for whatever reason, turned and started hitting <laughs> the Mongol. Wow. The Satan slaves grabbed me. And these guys were all like 6'1", 6'2", big yeah, dudes. big guys, yeah. And uh, uh, carried me out of there. The rest of the hell's angels were there. There was like six of us on bikes. It was like nine of us there. And we were all started laughing hysterically. Yeah. And, uh, we jumped on our bikes, kicked our bikes over, you know, no electric starters back then kicked our bikes over. And we ran out of that place, man. I felt like I was in the James gang. We right. just robbed a bank Right, laughing. We're laughing. And, uh, so we get back to the clubhouse in Glendale and old man, John's already heard about the fight. And old man John's 6'4", big hands, and he always had a cigar in his mouth. And it was always half smoked. And he always chomped on it when he was talking to it, bounce up and down. And was, what the hell is yeah. going on out there? And he takes it out of his mouth. <laughs> and we're going, well, John uh, got in a fight, you know. I know you got in a goddamn fight. You yeah. know, and he's going on and on. and uh, But he didn't. But he was mad at, you never guess what he was mad at, John, that those guys, the Mongols had the nerve to lay a hand on us. He wasn't mad at us. We started the fight, but he wasn't mad at us. He was mad because they laid a hand on us. And so he ran in the house, comes out with a pump shotgun. He had this old Ford Mustang, I don't know what year it was. It was an old one, faded paint, you know, uh, it was a rag top. I remember the top being all You know, and he opened the trunk up and he's smoking on the cigar and he throws the shotgun and he tells who is going to become the guy that was eventually murdered, who's going to become the new Hells Angel uh, president in Los Angeles. He goes, you go with me. uh, uh, Why did he pick him? I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you another thing John used to tell me and uh, 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 it'll make a lot of sense to you. I didn't ask John because John told me one time, because you want to last in this business? Quit asking questions. There <laughs> I said, okay. Fair man. enough. And so I didn't ask questions, but I said, I did confront him. I said, Hey, John, I, don't you think it'd be better to let them brew on the fight? And they'll wonder what's going to be next. And then we can petition, you know, for a sit down. Cause what, I mean, John's idea was just go, John, John goes go out. And, and he told and, and, me, and, and, you know what he told me? What New guy, get your ass in the clubhouse. And wow. I went back in the clubhouse and he took off with Bray. And, you know, Jesse and I were uh, in the clubhouse. Jesse, you know, was the guy with the, the, the motor sprocket. You know, we just sat in there all night, you know, waiting for John. And then John, we see the headlights roll in the driveway and he had resolved it. But, uh, you know, I felt, and I respectfully told him uh, alone. I never questioned him in front of anybody i said man i think it would have been smarter from a military standpoint to wait and let them brew on uh, what was going to come next and then petition them you know john uh, john didn't care you know and john didn't care about anything you know all john cared about was us we were his family and uh you know he was a real old school guy you know he'd tell you One time he took me to a fight with another bike club. I didn't even know, you know, you didn't ask back then what we were doing. Told me to get on my bike, get on your bike, Christy. And uh, me, Jesse, and a couple other guys got on our bikes and, you know, we went over to this other uh, motorcycle club's clubhouse and uh, John asked for somebody and the the guy came up, John clocked him, knocked, you know, just incredible power, Uh, knocked the guy down and he just, don't ever disrespect me again. He got on the bikes and we rode off. You know, I mean that's the kind of shit that John would do. Right. And you know, I said, John, uh, what are we gonna do now? You know. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I don't know. If, I hope, and I've never really reflected on it until now. I just had this epiphany. I hope what I said to him didn't cause him to uh, uh, step down, uh, because that, that's I respected him, you know, wholeheartedly, and I. I was just giving him some input, what I thought. He stepped down, Ray took over. Within two weeks, uh, uh, you know, there was machine gunnings on the freeway. Two Mongols got killed. Uh, Jingles and Redbeard were machine gunned off their bikes. Uh, The frame-up motorcycle shop. uh, uh, Tire stuff with dynamite uh, was taken there. Uh, It detonated, killed uh, two guys. you know, it's just it's so, brutal, so it real quick. Can you imagine shooting machine guns in downtown LA and, I mean, and bombing uh, businesses in downtown LA?
0: And and I think there's probably this misconception, you know, to 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 the citizens. You know, I think there's this misconception that the reason why these, you know, I know there's that the, that thing that ha- happened in Laughlin, or or, or you right. know, there's that these wars are over because these are. You know, criminal enterprises, no. they're fighting over turf because they want to run guns. or so. This it's is ego. literally man. one guy was sleeping with another guy's yeah. ex-wife. Yeah. You, you know, you,
1: we talked about the uh, outlaws earlier. You know what that fight was about? What that start? Uh, Grease Lightning, who uh, was an outlaw, and Sandy Alexander, who was leader of the uh, Hells Angels uh, in New York City, formerly both members of the Alien Motorcycle Club. They were brothers at one time. Uh, uh Grease Lightning came to visit Sandy. He wasn't there. Colette, Sandy's wife, said uh, he raped her. And uh, Sandy was a professional boxer. Uh, Grease Lightning shows back up in uh, New York. Sandy beats him up. Uh, he goes back to uh, the Outlaws and said, I got jumped by the whole charter because he got beat so bad. You know, Sandy uh, just really you know, it put him. it on. Well, I mean, he's a boxer, yeah. you know, professional boxer. So uh, uh, two motor, two members from uh, the East Coast go down to Florida to uh, uh, get an ex-member to cover his tattoo who's down there selling narcotics and posing as a hell's angel. Uh, that's another whole story we could talk about. They go down there. Uh, while they're down there, the outlaws here they're in town, and they invite them to the clubhouse. They are told by Sandy, don't go to the clubhouse. Well, they go to the clubhouse, and uh, 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 one of the uh, leaders uh, uh, decides uh, they're going to take retribution for Grease Lightning, and uh, they take him down to the rock quarry and shoot him both in the back of the head and the Hells Angel, ex-Hells Angel, who's still impersonating uh, uh, the Hells Angels, uh, take him down to the rock quarry, chain him up, throw him in there, and then a few weeks later, one of the guys... uh, Name uh club name was Riverboat and uh you know the started kind of like a little legend within the club that you know Riverboat came to the surface. A, and wow. He came to the surface and and uh we had been calling outlaws, hey what happened to these guys? And they said, We don't know, we man. Don't know. They were here and they left. We knew they were at their clubhouse because Sandy had talked to him, told him not to go. That fight was over a woman. You wow. know? So we've got two conflicts that are still ongoing to this day. Wow. And they're, they're both about egos wow. and uh, hurt feelings and whatnot. It's not about territory. Right. You know, people that are selling narcotics in somebody else's territory. You're not going to know they're there. They're right. going to come in under the stealth of darkness or whatever it may be, sell their wares, and get the hell out. Right. You know, right. it's it's usually not doing
0: it a bit brazenly in
1: public, no, or asking for a fight. You want you know, wanna, you know, you know that's a good way to get busted. And yeah, You know, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know yeah. they go into these uh, uh, areas in a clandestine mode. You know, I mean, these fights were right. over egos and territory. Like, don't come in our territory, not because it has anything to do with narcotics. Right. Don't come in our territory, and you know. Uh, I didn't say it earlier. I wanted to allude to it earlier. But, you know, to be an effective peacemaker, you have to be willing to go to war. Yeah, I really I wanted, did learn that, yeah, you know. As, I, I, I really wanted to ask you... Um, you
0: know, George, Horn, give me give me just one second because I'm about to piss my pants, all right? Give me, give me just one second. I apologize. I got all day, man. <laughs> all right,
1: good, good, good. You need to go to the bathroom, you're good.
0: I'm <laughs> well, sorry. I, 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 like got that, I got that jailhouse <laughs>
1: discipline, man. I, can, I don't know where you want to pick it up at. is After Taco put the hit on me, I went to Chicago and confronted those guys uh, at a meeting. And, and what what does that entail? Are you getting on a plane? Yeah, or? I got on a plane. Yeah. By yourself? Uh I took one guy with me. Who do you take with you for that? I took that? Josh with me, a young guy. And uh Why you take Josh? Uh, Cuz I figured he'd be right there. He was he was 25, 24 and he reminded me of myself, uh you know, he thought he was invincible and you know the sad thing about Josh, he got killed mm. uh later. So uh, you know, unsolved. Uh, which is a that story it's a story in itself, but uh, Josh and I after I found out, man I was smoking John you know that uh, and you can look this up on the internet it's uh, United States of America versus Harry Taco Bowman and it's got all the details of uh, you know they were going to either kill Sonny or me and they decided to kill me and uh, for whatever reason i don't know i didn't I didn't ask Taco. I did talk to Taco after uh, the murder contract, which is also another funny story. But I'll tell you about. I'll, I don't know if I'm getting out of sync. No, you're here.
0: perfect. So you go. You go to. So I, I to get on a plane, plane.
1: I go back to uh, Chicago. We're gonna have a sit down with the outlaws because we're trying to rein. Taco's now in jail. Uh, what he, year
0: is this? Roughly
1: late '90s. Okay. Taco's now in jail. He was on the. FBI's, he might've been number one. He was on the top 10 most wow. wanted fugitives. So I go back there and- uh, And I'm, you
0: knew he was in Chicago.
1: I knew he was, that he had been picked up. And he's from Chicago. I knew that it was the Chicago outlaws and that Taco had ordered my murder. Uh, they had chose to kill me rather than Sonny. So <clears throat> I hear there's a meeting with the outlaws back East so I tell my charter, I'm, I'm going. You know, Josh goes, I'm going with you, man. So we get on the plane. We go back there, and uh, we go to the meeting. And uh, there's Hell's Angels there, and there's uh, Outlaws there. And uh, we're sitting across the table from each other. And I said, uh, you know, I raised my hand. I said, I want to say something, and then I'm going to leave. And I don't, I'm usually very protocol. And I, the, my guys knew, they go, oh, George is pissed about something. And so I went into it. I said, I know about the hit. I go, the police came and they told me. And I said, you know what? You do this during uh, peace talks. You don't even call off the peace talks. And uh, you just come after me. You're in my town with a map, pictures of me, and a silenced-equipped handgun. And I go, I want to tell you guys something now. I said, I'll respect whatever my club decides in this room today. I will respect, but there's a point. And I said, this is what I'm telling you. I said, if you ever come back to Ventura again without an invitation, a personal invitation from me, I said, I will find out who ordered it and who participated. And I said, I will come into the house. I said, I'll kill everybody in the house, your wife, your children your dog, your cat. And I said, on my way out, I'm going to overfeed your fish.
0: You know, and this might, what you just shared, you know, kind of leads me into it. Just talk about uh, a little bit. Look, I asked you if you meant it and you you said you did. I did. And and you said before I had to, um, before I almost pissed my pantyhose that, 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 uh, (laughs) you, you said that, you know, in order to, to keep peace, and in to, order to be to, an effective peacemaker, you have to be have capable to be of violence and to willing work. to go there. Yeah. And I, I believe that with all my heart. I, I also too. believe, like, like, like yourself and so many of the folks that we've talked to that have been on both sides uh, of the law in their life. I really believe that folks that have really been down in the valley, people that are both capable of and have sort of committed uh, some of the most heinous acts are also capable of doing the most beautiful and godly work. They're able to lift other people. It's interesting, in the, it's, it's crazy, and yeah. I, I, we, we keep kind of coming back to that. Yeah. And I think there's something uh, to the extent of, it, unless you've been down there, right. you're not gonna be able to take a hand from someone to be lifted out of that you unless know. they've been down there too.
1: You know, I'll tell you something. I, I In 2001, I got indicted on that 59 count racketeering charge, and I, I spent a year Uh, In uh, isolation, and in top of isolation, they have, uh, they put you in the hole. And uh, I had uh, got my chicken dinner, uh, you know, shoved through the uh, slot in my cell. I never got out of my cell in uh, the isolation unit. And uh, I have a bridge on one side of my mouth, and they don't allow you any, much for hygienic stuff, uh, and I uh, kept a a bone out of the chicken's leg. It was very long and you know that long skinny bone that's kind of ho- hooked and I would use it to clean my bridge after my meal. I had it hidden in my room in the cell and they came in there and shook my room down and uh they found they found the bone and uh as crazy as it sounds, they had a trial. Uh, the prison officials had a trial, and I had to go to the trial and uh they set the bone. that's the evidence they put the bone down and they said, "Were you going to try to put somebody's eye out with this bone and i you know I was laughing I said, and I go, "No, I said, just to clean my bridge you know <laughs> and uh they didn't believe me, of yeah. course. And they said, no, we think that you saved that. You were going to put one of the guard's eyes out. And uh, I'm kind of looking at him, and there's a pencil sitting by me. And I picked the pencil up, and I go, now this is something I can put somebody's eye out with. And, all you know, they got all pissed off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they said, okay, now we're going to sentence you to the hole. I was in isolation, but now I'm going to the hole, and we're putting you on a disciplinary diet. They don't do it anymore. They enough writs were filed where they stopped it. The disciplinary diet is they feed you in the morning and they feed you at night. You get two pieces of bread, you get a protein loaf, which is just enough calories to sustain you, uh, you know, so you, you know, you don't uh, starve to death if you're on it, you know, for any length of time. And you get two glasses of water, or one glass of water, I can't remember. And if one of the cool guards was there, he'd slip a milk into you so you could get some more protein. Because there are cool guards down there. Of course. You don't get no mail. You don't get no newspapers, magazines, any of that stuff. But they leave a Bible. There's a Bible in there. And uh, so I started reading the Bible. I've read the Bible. My parents are Greek Orthodox. My mom is very religious. Uh, My mom and my aunt... uh, I uh, got some funny stories about my family, too, as Greeks, but uh, uh, I started reading the Bible, man, and, you know, that's where I, I... I had already been on this path of peace and whatnot, but some pretty heavy-duty stories in the Bible, you know. I had just... I revisited them all, you know, and I read the whole Bible and, uh, uh I think... Uh, you really get some insight into the history of violence in the Bible. Yeah. And, you know, and, yeah. you know I, I truly mean that, you know, to be an effective peacemaker, you have to be willing to go to war. And,
0: and I imagine that it like in most, I mean, look, whether you're talking about your peewee tackle football team, whether you're talking about a, a, a unit in the Marine Corps, you're right. talking about a, a plainclothes police unit, or you're talking about a motorcycle club, you know, you get a group of men together and, whether you like it or not, everyone is sort of judged to some extent of what your willingness and your ability to, 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 to engage, how How aggressive, how far will you you take it? How far will you take it? And it's, and you know, it's, it's, it's sort of been my experience with the different people that I've had the pleasure of getting close with that in any organization, something Mel talks about all the time. Mel always says, you know, man, it's these one percenters these, these motorcycle guy, guys but it's only one percent of the one percenters that are actually they really actually bad. get out there that's what the Mel field. always says and I don't know maybe you can back up but everybody I've talked to yeah. it says that Mel is actually that that guy he yeah has, sure and
1: you know there was a handful of uh of you know people I get people right I have like there's a picture floating around the internet of me with a filthy few badge on you know and I'm not going to get into specifics. You know, you can use your imagination. What of does course. it mean? Yep. And it was a group within the club. It was a, a group of A small group of you guys that the, are within the club.
0: And I heard yeah. that 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 about yeah. yourself yeah. as well. And and I I guess what I'm asking is not like how far are you willing to take it? Is there a line you're willing to cross? But I I, I guess you, you know. Like when you say that one guy picked up the the, the, the spigot wrench right, or whatever. Right. What, yeah, the motor sprocket. Motor sprocket. You say, I don't know shit. But like when he picked that up, you, I guess, can you just talk about the currency of, of violence in, in, well, in, in that world?
1: And I'll tell you the, the interesting thing about, and I left a, a portion out, not intentionally, I just, my mind, uh, you know, I'm uh, having a lot of fun here and I'm trying to get as much in as I can. And, but when he caught up and he ripped that across. the guy that knocked him down was waiting for him, you know, when he got up and Jesse bounced up and he ripped that motor sprocket across his cheek. And that guy howled, it was a primal scream. Wow. And, uh, I looked at Jesse, he was smiling. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, he was willing to take it, uh, uh however, and you know, the, uh, you know, you live by the sword, die by the sword. Jesse was murdered, you know, uh, ultimately, and you, know, you know, it's unsolved. Uh, Josh was murdered uh, and it remains unsolved. You know, I could go on and on and on of all these individuals. Uh, uh, it, uh, but, but, but is that true, like kind of across, uh, across the board as far as,
0: you know, w- were there members that you felt like were adverse to violence? Were there members that you felt like deep down were scared of it? And yeah. That, that, yeah, I think and, members that, we're scared Just of like it. Just like anything else. Look, yeah, exactly. Some guys Enjoy wear it. the jacket and wear the patch. And, and, and They're they walking the tougher. walk. That's right. That's yeah, right.
1: You know, but and does everybody you know it? Does everybody know who those guys it are? It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't take long. You know, it's interesting. Big Al, who was original Filthy Few member uh, in the uh, late 70s, uh, the Bay Area guys got indicted for racketeering. And uh, I don't know if you know who the uh, U.S. attorney was on that case it was Mueller
0: yeah I heard that it was Mueller Mueller.
1: and uh, so they pull we always pull the jurors after the trial and uh, so the lawyers pull the jurors and uh, I don't know if you know who Tony Sarah is Tony Sarah is a very famous civil rights and criminal lawyer up in the Bay Area I've used him personally and uh, the guy's incredible but you know they pull the juror uh, jury afterwards and uh, they said the jurors said they didn't believe any witnesses. They didn't believe any FBI agents. They didn't believe any paid informants, and they didn't believe any Hell's Angels, with the exception of Big Al. And they said Big Al not only walks the walk, uh, not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. And what Big Al said to him was, they had pictures of, of letters that Big Al had been sending home, and uh, in these letters said he had millions of dollars hidden uh diamonds rubies and it was going to all be hers when he got home are
0: you sending it to his lady yeah i sent it a, to his lady yeah. so
1: the u.s attorney i don't know if it was Mueller personally i wasn't there on this particular uh day but uh he said i've got a letter here uh mr perryman that states and he's showing the the jury, uh, uh, this letter about, he said, the million dollars and the rubies yeah. and the diamonds and it's all hers. He's probably
0: just Ex- trying to keep his old lady. That's what he yeah. said. He
1: says, explain that to me. And, he, yeah. he goes, and Albert's, all, Albert's the most jiviest guy in the world. Yeah. He looks at the jury and he goes, obviously, this motherfucker never been in prison. <laughs> he goes, what do you fucking think I'm going to tell her? I'm broke.
0: Yeah. You can't take her on
1: date night. You and know the, I mean? and yeah. the jury, man, they just yeah. go, yeah
0: yeah albert yeah. You know? that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. he speaks yeah. the truth yeah he speaks the truth yeah yeah, yeah. and wh- what about wh- what about like those guys i mean because there's also a big thing i imagine um you know there's a I- i'm not going to name any names but there have been people you know now that the show that this this podcast show is kind of getting out there a bit a lot of people c- call us to be on it oh really and there's uh and there's um there's a couple guys who reached out who said they're hell's angels and they know this and that. And, and, um, you know, they were there, you know, and, and, you know, I, I, I always call Mel and, 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 you know, Mel's like, nah, man, those, th- those guys aren't real, you know? And, right. and is that a real thing? Yeah. Like, I, I mean,
1: it's a, it's a, you know, it, it's a shame. And, uh, when I did the, uh, Outlaw Chronicles, uh, and I, I think you might've, I don't think I said it, uh, while we were talking together, I think I mentioned it when you went out. Uh, Sonny threatened to sue me. Hmm. Uh, uh, he's going to stop the get an injunction and stop it. And uh, so they vetted everything I said, uh, and everything I said on the History Channel was vetted. And, but there's a lot of guys out there, you know, talking a lot of stuff. I see stuff on social media, you know. I don't know who these guys are, right. you know. And sometimes they'll, uh, I get derogatory remarks uh, made to me and sure. by people. Uh, and, uh, you know, my response to them is, you know, I'm creating a historical record. This is my story. I'd rather talk about myself than have uh, 100 years from now somebody, you know. Yeah, up. well, we found out George wore dresses on the, right, right, right. <laughs> on Friday right. night, you know. But, 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 I guess, but you know I guess what I'm saying. I know
0: exactly what you're saying. But I guess, you know, it's one thing that, you know, To write something down, you know, in the safety of your home behind your computer. But are are guys, like, rolling around (laughs) with patches on? I mean, are guys rolling around with... You 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 know,
1: I... I, I, You know, there are some active members. You know, I've had no issues with them. I was in Spain for three years. I ran into the Hells Angels there. I partied with the Banditos and uh, the Unknowns, another 1% club there. Uh, uh, Like I said, I ran into the Hells Angels. Uh, They... uh, they didn't uh, uh, disrespect me, uh, they really didn't acknowledge me, I got a, a nod from one of them, and I was approached by one young member on his own, like, I used to get up every morning, uh, you know, 4.30, go for a walk, In Spain, man, it's just incredible to walk yeah. those streets and those yeah. alleys and whatnot. and. When you go out at 5.30 in the morning, the bars are just closing, and everybody's on the streets, and it's, it's like a festival. And I saw this big guy coming at me, and I was thinking, okay. And, uh, you know, I'm always on guard. And uh, he points at me, he goes, George Christie, right? And I said, yeah. And then he told me who he was. I'm not going to say who he was because he said some really cavalier things. I, uh, he says, can I take a picture with you? I go, you think that's a good idea? And uh, he goes, I'm from Spain. He goes, I don't take my orders from Sonny Barger. And uh, I said, whatever you want to do, man. And, you know, he took some pictures of of me. And that, you know, that's the way I was treated over there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've seen some Ventura Hells Angels here. And, uh, you know, they don't acknowledge me and I don't acknowledge them. And uh, I, uh, I don't try to make myself big and get in their space. And I hope that they would uh, show me the same respect back. But you know, I- But you're uh, who you are. Yeah. When you're I who mean, you are, do doesn't yeah. change. I mean, John- you,
0: you, you didn't decide to go move to Kansas. No, you I You stayed did. right
1: here. I did. Yeah. And uh, there was a rumor for a while that, you know, I had been run out of town, that's why I went to Spain. It's kind of hard to explain for the people that started that rumor now that I'm back. right? Uh, uh, that, did you that, guys negotiate is, a peace? That is an inconvenience. Is yeah, it? it is an inconvenience for yeah. the story. You need to be careful what you say to sure, people. Sure, sure. And I, I, I'm laughing at it because you get it. Okay. You know? Yeah, it's like they people can talk a lot of shit. Yeah, that's right. You know? that's but right. Uh, they should be ready to back it up. But, that's right. You know, I. You know, look, the war in L.A. was just... It was devastating on everybody, the, the, the victims, the victims' families, uh, the extended victims of the people who went to prison for the crimes they sure. committed and uh, affected their families. You know, people go due time in prison. From To me, the real victims are the family. Like, you know, I'm a hard-ass. I You know, they sent me to Texas. I spent a year in Texas with the bandidos uh, I didn't suffer. My family suffered. You mean suffered. when you were locked up? Yeah, my family suffered. Yeah, you know? I get that. And uh, uh it, it not only and once they get you in their clutches like you get you're on federal paper, you call it, you know, uh, like parole or probation, whatever you want to call. it. they don't have parole or probation, it's they call it probation now, but it's it, it's essentially parole. I did the history channel uh the probation parole department wanted to take all my money, mm-hmm. uh, the money that I got for, uh, they said, well, you can't, you know, you can't profit off your criminal past. And uh, I said, would you rather have me out robbing a bank? I said, there's a lot of nice branches around here. I'm, you know, I was being a smartass, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I got in a, a big dialogue with them. And I think this is important to say, I'm getting off the track again. Okay. but. uh I sat in there, all I harped on was the money. They wanted to know how much money I was making, how much was I going to give to them because I had a fine imposed on me by the court. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, I said, I'm kind of ashamed of you people. I go, I'm paying for you to watch me through my taxes. That's right. And I say, I've been back now four months. I said, I think I've done wonders, man. I got a book deal. I got a TV show brewing. And you haven't asked me once how my reentry to society is going. Do you even give a shit? All you care about is the money mm-hmm. and what I'm doing, and is it legitimate? Uh, I said, what about the reentry into society as a ex-convict? I'm a multiple felon. I'm almost 70 years old, and I'm a multiple felon. What the hell am I supposed to do with my life? Right. You know, uh, uh, and I'm not crying. I'm just telling you. Uh, there's a lot of obstacles out there, and I think the families uh makes it tough on the families i'm working with uh a, a kid now uh, you know his mom and dad uh I uh, wound up trying to mentor this guy you know he's in trouble, and you know his biggest problem is he doesn't see himself uh, as a criminal he sees himself as a victim you know i I did a lot of i do uh, consulting for lawyers. And, uh, I know a lot about, uh, strategy in courtrooms, uh, uh, a lot of lawyers will defer to me and talk to me. I, you know, I work as a, a, a witness, uh, and whatnot for the defense. And I had a client who had embezzled a bunch of money from Sony movie. He was a director. He embezzled a bunch of money from Sony and, uh. Sony didn't want to come after him because they were afraid, the way the payroll system was set up, they could be deceived by other people. They Mm. were trying to keep it on the down low. Mm. And he called me one day, and he was almost in tears. And uh, he said to me, just profound, I go, what's the matter, man, you really sound down? He goes, I am, George. He goes, they're treating me like a criminal. And I said, my friend, yeah. you are a criminal. Welcome, welcome, yeah. dude. Welcome, to, welcome aboard, my friend.
0: I'm also a little bit interested, you know, I, I, I understand what you're talking about um, about anybody who sort of romanticizes war, anybody, you know, has never been, been in it. And I, I think that's true of violence in general. And, and I think, uh, you know, when I look at um, I imagine during those days when you were in LA, uh, you know, if, if you're riding around, you know when the Hell's Angels ride around. I mean, it, it's a pretty big presence up here. So like, you see them. You know, right. I mean, it's a they 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 make themselves known. Loud motorcycles and loud colors. You know, very what I mean? visual. Very visual, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I imagine every day you're riding around during a war. There's a target on your back, and that that's is that something that you carry with you palpably every moment? when Yeah, you're... absolutely.
1: You know, and this is the thing, John. I like, I'm working on this new book, and I just I put you know we were fighting wars on two fronts in Southern California. We were fighting the Mongols, but we were fighting law enforcement Law enforcement as well. And you know, it's like, it's one thing to go to a a occupied country, you know, as long as you follow the rules somewhat, you're not gonna have a problem, uh, you know, you're not gonna get court-martialed unless you do something really off the wall. But you figure you're on the street doing the same things you would do in a, a war zone, but it's, you know, you're not a hero, man. Yeah, to yeah. law enforcement, to society, you're you're a criminal. That's right. And uh, uh, it becomes very precarious, you know. But what was it? What, what was the during those days
0: in LA? What were the what What were some great th- like? What are some great memories? What are, What are your fondest memories? What 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 was? I mean, I imagine also there's another side to it. Well, there's a reason why you guys. It's a, it's not an easy thing to be a part of. Look right.
1: When I got. Voted in the club. Nobody got voted in the club. It's December twenty-six. How do you get voted in? Well, someone brings you up. Your sponsor. My sponsor happened to be Old Man John. Uh, uh, when he brings you up, they go around the room and they vote. And uh, I. Uh, uh, this is in my stage play. Uh, the you know we were standing around this fire. It was December twenty-six. It was you know it can get cold in uh, Los Angeles. Not like the East, but. We were standing around a 50 barrel drum, you know, wood in it, and we we're staying warm. And the door opened, and I, everybody looked at the door, and uh, the old man stepped out, you know, filled the door. The, you know, all of a sudden the door was black because, was, you know, and, it, you know, I still remember it to this day Christy, get your ass in here. And I, man, I ran. I looked at everybody like, you know, maybe this is it, you know. And I ran in there, and I got in there, and, uh, The room, everybody was against the walls, the Hells Angels in there, and they were all measuring me, watching me. And uh, so John, uh, you know, said to me, uh, well, are you ready? And, uh, you know, I couldn't even get the words out, you know. I I was like shaking my head, and he finally said, well, say something. You know, and I go, yeah, John, I'm ready. And he goes, you know what this means, right? And I said, Yeah, I I know what it means. And John, he says, You don't know nothing. And uh he goes, We're your new family. And he goes, We come first. You understand that, don't you? I said, Yes. And I, you know, I I looked around the room and just everybody was standing there, and John looked at Tall Paul, uh, we had two guys in Los Angeles, Small Paul and Tall Paul. Everybody's got handles. And uh, Tall Paul, who wasn't really tall. uh, uh, Taller. uh, Yeah, he was taller than Small Paul. He took his patch and he folded it up, and he threw it at me, and I caught it. And I opened it up, and I outstretched my arms, and I looked at it, and it looked like that death head, the emblem on the back, was staring at me. And he was measuring me up, just like the guys against the walls were. And I looked at it, and old man John said, Well, he goes, put it on. And uh, I I put it on, and there was a a mirror, like window effect from the window. You know how you look in a window? And it's not a mirror, but it, you can Sir, see your uh, uh, reflection. And... I had had an experience like 1955 when I saw the first outlaw biker I ever saw on a street corner and I looked at myself and I saw that outlaw biker and then I looked and I saw John and then I saw myself and uh, uh, I turned around and I was like my eyes were like messing up and I looked at John. and he was standing there staring at me and i just was drawn to him and i opened my arms up and i went to run and embrace him and uh he punched me in the chest <laughs> and he goes what's wrong with you he goes never let your guard down you're a hell's angel now and that was my baptism in, you know uh. into the club and i uh i just was like yeah Never let your guard down, but I'm a hell's angel now. Yeah. Nothing can harm me. Now, later that night, we got on our motorcycles, and we rode out to Betty. Now, do you know who Betty is? Yeah. Betty's this little old woman out in San Bernardino, Berdu, you know it's called in the outlaw culture, who made, handmade the patches. Wow. So we go out to Betty's. Betty's this old religious woman, and uh, strict orders we get there. No smoking and no cussing. Betty's going to put my patch on my Levi, and uh, she's a nurse sewing it. And uh, uh, I'm just like, I'm not only in my Hell's Angel now, but Betty's sewing my patch on that she made on my Levi vest. And
0: uh, she does all the patches. She did all the, well, not anymore back then. She's probably not even
1: alive anymore, but she did all the patches. And, you know, you couldn't get a patch There was one specific person that could order the patches for everybody. And if anybody else tried, it was bullshit, you know. But uh, those are the rules. So we get the patch and I try it on, man. You know, you can imagine how I'm feeling, John. And uh, I look at Betty, and she says, and remember... No hot rodding till you reach the end of the street. <laughs> and, uh, so we jumped on our bikes, man, and you know that was the fastest trip from San Bernardino to L.A. We went back to the Glendale clubhouse, you know. I partied for a few days, and uh, shortly after that uh, was New Year's. You know, it was December 26th. Uh, we rode to Oakland, and uh, uh, I went up there, and uh, my old longtime uh, friend Animal. Paul Hibbets, who was an Oakland Hell's Angel now, and if you've ever seen Gimme Shelter, mm-hmm. he's the guy with the headdress, fox headdress on. At Altamont. Yeah, and he's the guy. He's the guy that knocked out Marty Balin, uh, uh, the singer. Oh, from
0: so. uh, what's that? Uh, from Jefferson, Jefferson Airplane.
1: Jefferson Yeah, yeah. He, and you see
0: the guy who stabbed the guy up at Altamont? That's Alan
1: Pizarro stabbed okay. uh, Meredith Hunter, but Meredith, you know, I'm, I'm actually working with these people, these two young girls in the Bay Area that whose their families are connected to Altamont somehow through the bands. They wanna do a, a, a thing. Uh, and if it gets off the ground, those are somebody you might wanna to talk to. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of people don't realize that Alan stabbed Meredith after Meredith pointed the gun at the stage. No, oh, I
0: didn't know that. I didn't know that there was a gun. Oh yeah, he
1: pointed the gun at the stage. And, and they were
0: specifically high. You guys were specifically hired. hired security well, Rolling Stones. Or- yeah.
1: But it, you know, Rock Scully, the Grateful Dead manager who I was good friends with, you know, it just turned into a, just a mess. You know, like the Grateful Dead came there, they saw what was happening. Uh, you yeah. know, Jerry, uh, Jerry. I've
0: seen uh, that interview. Jerry's like, man, there's like people getting stabbed out yeah. there. man. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, Jerry, you know, All right, you want to go play? Yeah. Like Jerry, <laughs>
1: uh, uh, like, He's in our movie Hells Angels Forever. You know he goes, these guys, you know they're they're violent in all the correct spaces. You know (laughs) (laughs) I don't know he said something to that effect. But you know Jerry was the coolest
0: dude. So you you hung
1: out with those guys? Yeah, yeah. They were good friends of mine. Yeah, Rock Scully used to call me, and he'd say, Hey, Jerry's flying in. He don't trust anybody but you. Will you would you pick him up personally? I'd go down there and pick him up at the airport. Now this is in the seventies. Jerry's getting off the plane with a briefcase full of dope. And, you know, there's no guards. You know, there's he gets down off the plane and then, you know, comes out. And, like, I go, what's up, Garcia? He goes, oh, man, get me out of here. There's deadheads everywhere. (laughs) And uh, he's telling me, I said, look, I got a car. You just have to know Jerry. You know, I knew you had to come. So, him you go down. pick up Jerry Garcia at the airport.
0: Yeah. Are you winning you your
1: colors? I got my colors on, yeah. And you go
0: pick them up? Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: party time, man. Yeah, yeah. And And uh, so I go, I got a nice car for you. I got a Cadillac out here. And uh, he goes, okay, cool, man. He goes, just get me to the car, George. He goes, there are deadheads everywhere. There, there were, You know, the dead <laughs> would fall it's around. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, yeah. so we get in the car and he's, He's going, oh, God damn it, man. He goes, don't make eye contact, George. Don't make eye contact. And uh, so we get going, and he goes, you got to pull into a 7-Eleven. 7-11. Remember 7 Sure, yeah. And he goes, you got to pull into a 7-Eleven. He goes, I need to – got to spray paint the windows black. <laughs> I go, Jerry, you can't spray paint the windows. I go, this is a rental car, man. I go, you're with me, man. I go, relax. It's yeah. cool, you know. And he, I, he goes, oh, man, I'm not feeling cool. And I go <laughs> – I go, do you want to change cars? He goes, yeah. So we go to my house up in Oakview, and I got this long driveway. Up in Oakview here? Yeah, up here in Oakview. So I got this long driveway. So Jerry Garcia was here? Yeah, at my Holy path. Shit. So we we pull down in the back, Yeah. and uh, uh, he goes, oh, I don't know, man. He says, okay, I feel better. And I go, come here, let me show you something. So I have a van that was the support vehicle for the Hells Angels. It's got a big motor in it but it's really plain looking but inside it's like a, a motel room mm-hmm. you know for the kids and the wife mm-hmm. so he gets in there and he goes oh man now you remember the big old phones that this was a, a house phone but it was a big block phone mm-hmm. that AT&T had and you could go outside with it if mm-hmm. you didn't go too far yeah so he goes can you get scully on the phone rock scully the manager and i go yeah So I get Scully on the phone. I go, hey, Scully, it's George. And he goes, everything okay? And I go, yeah, Jerry wants to talk to you, man. So I hand Jerry the phone. He goes, Scully. He goes, you know, I've been down here one hour. George has giving me everything I need. You're fucking fired. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, he was joking, you know. And uh, uh, so that's the kind of relationship I had with those guys. They would send me tickets, like to fly to a concert concert. to come and see him, yeah, you know. Yeah. I hadn't seen him for a while. You know, I also promoted Jerry Garcia. I was the first person to promote the Jerry Garcia band. Wow. Uh, in Southern California. Wow. And uh, uh, you know, me and Bill, Bill Graham, uh, sure. Finally, wound up co-promoting. But they, him. I
0: mean, there's this relationship between the. I mean, I remember. Um, yeah, I I know Willie Nelson a little bit, and I remember you know when I, I was oh, just the biggest fan, and yeah. uh, I'd go up to San Francisco. My, my <laughs> wife was a travel nurse up there, and we, we we when she was my girlfriend, she broke up with me because I was a real piece of shit, you know. Before that, <laughs> before that you time got left. straightened out, exactly. And and uh, and you know, man, it was awful. She was a nurse up there, and she had a boyfriend, and oh my god, would, But I would go up there all the time, like leave flowers on her car, and like draw these little stupid pictures and poems, the and romantic side. Yeah, that, man, man. and she wouldn't even talk to me. It was awful, <laughs> but I I got these tickets through this 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 agent uh, to 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 Willie Nelson and we got backstage and I like rolled Willie this giant joint and I wrote him this letter. I'm trying to get this lady back so bad and um, but I remember like we we um, this guy invited us over to the bus, but it was all Hell's Angels, like the whole front yeah. row was and I mean this was uh you know 2007 it was all Hell's Angels and then the, the, there was this uh, one Hell's angel with like long white hair and he, he LG. was LG like, yeah oh yeah LG that's yeah, right yeah, that's right yeah. And and but like talk a little bit about that about the relationship between the. the I'll names tell you a great
1: Willie Nelson story. This is back in the seventies, maybe early eighties, and uh, probably about fifteen of us show up at the Universal. I think it's an amphitheater. Okay. So either that or the Greek Theater. I think it was a Universal amphitheater. Okay. And so the security guy, I, I go there and I go, yeah, we're here for the show, and he goes, name, and well, we never gave names. I mean. Our backstage pass was our patch, That's basically. Right. That's right. And uh, I said, well, we're not on the list, man. I go, you know, we're here, though. You know? And he goes, well, I'm not letting you in. I go, what do you mean you're not letting us in? I go, we go to all Willie shows. I go, LG's uh, security? I go, I go, come on, man. And uh, I go, okay, no problem. And just about that time, Willie walks up. And he goes, what's the problem? I go, he won't let us in. He goes, well, fuck it, man. We won't do the show. And he turns around, and we all, <laughs> we all turn around with him and start walking yeah, back. And the guy it. goes, no, no, Mr. Nelson, Mr. Nelson, yeah. my mistake. And you know that's the kind of guy Willie was. And, yeah. You know, you, Waylon was that way, Willie, yeah. Johnny Paycheck. I locked Johnny Paycheck in a room one time. He was so fucked up. Yeah. I had to sober him up before he went and performed. <laughs> and uh, oh, he was so mad at me. And uh, he gets to the show, and uh, he thinks he's going on that night he goes, oh, George, it's good to see you, brother. And he's all this shit. And, you know, he's going, like, where's the shit? You know? <laughs> and uh, I go, there ain't no shit. Yeah. And he goes, what yeah. do you mean? And I go, you got to sober up, man. you got to put a hell of a show on for Toys for Tots. Yeah. You know, you got to do the show Saturday. He goes, Saturday, it's only Thursday. You yeah, know? Yeah. He goes, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? <laughs> I sober up. And uh, so I locked him in a room. I left. He's yelling at me. I left yeah. two Hell's Angels in there with him, big yeah. old Hell's Angels. <laughs> and uh, so... Went on the show, uh did the show Saturday, thanked me. You didn't say thank you for locking. And you're
0: in the room. doing that because you want the show to go or you're I doing are you, it for the show, for the, yes, kids, for the kids, man. Toys yeah, for yeah. tots. Yeah, yeah, people yeah, yeah. were yeah.
1: People in Santa Barbara were counting on him at yep. the Arlington Theater. Yep, yep. So he uh, uh after that every time I'd see him, he'd go, You son of a bitch, <laughs> you are gonna lock me in a room? I'd go, I'm <laughs> I I'd go, I might, Johnny. I go behave yourself. <laughs> so, I mean that's and we had relationships. Yeah. Waylon, Willie, uh, uh Just, you know, Chris Christopherson, I met Johnny Cash, man, uh, through uh, Willie. And uh, only time I was ever lost for words, John. I mean, there was the man in black, you know. And I was just like, wow. yeah. And, he, you know, he goes, you know, he's from up here. Yeah, yeah, man. And he he saw the Ventura on me, and he he looked, and he goes, Ventura, huh? He goes, I spent a little time in Ventura. And Mm -hmm. I go, I know you did, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I just let him talk. I just wanted to uh, hear what he had to say.
0: What do you think that's about? The the, the relationship between
1: these know, guys were outlaws and so were we, man. I mean, right. these guys were outlaws, you know. I mean, and really
0: the Grateful Dead too. I don't oh, think yeah, people realize outlaws, that. You know, it's man. like they think it's like these hippies. Like that's outlaw shit, man. You
1: well, know? I'll tell you a great story uh, about when they went to sober. They did an intervention on Jerry. You want to hear this story? I'd love to. So Bob Seidman is a famous rock photographer. If you look him up, people you don't know his name, but. It, Know his works. Okay. If you look at the uh, Blind Faith album cover with the girl with the no top on holding sure. the airplane, I don't sure. know if you remember that one. Sure. Bob Seidman took that photograph. Wow. And, uh, you know, year after year, it's always in the top 100 albums of all time. So they send Bob up for the intervention. So Bob get, arrives on Friday, the intervention's Sunday. So it was, you know, Jerry, this is Bob telling me the story. Uh, Jerry, you know, I'm here, man. You know, let's party. So they're fucking doing heroin, LSD, uh, weed, uh, opium. They're doing this whole gig. So Sunday at four, there's a knock on the door and it's the band, Bob Weir and, you know, Mickey Hart and, and, uh, it's an intervention, man. <laughs> Jerry was that's the farthest thing from his mind <laughs> because him and Bob had been partying all weekend. Yeah. And uh they uh they did an intervention and you know, he was they said Jerry never Jerry's the most sweetest guy on the earth, you know. Yeah. But he was motherfucking sideman, you know. Yeah. You dirty motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> you know. He was you know, he was taking him out of the party. Yeah. And they, they did they took him to the uh, uh rehab place and uh Uh, he got sober Mm -hmm. and uh you know i remember when he died i was in sturgis man Mm -hmm. and uh you know i took it real hard Mm -hmm. i I bet you know he was just i remember taking him to santa barbara one time we were talking about billy idol and he was uh you know it's interesting a lot of these guys become such big icons they kind of lose touch they can't go out uh they become prisoners of you know of their own I know exactly what you mean you know what yeah. I'm talking about they come prisoners of their own celebrity mm-hmm. and uh he I said yeah uh Billy Idol was up here a couple of weeks ago we were talking about different things and I and he goes yeah what's he like man he goes I really like his music I go he's cool man you know and he, I go <laughs> I go the girls were throwing their panties on the stage Jerry Wow, he goes, imagine if they uh, did that for me. <laughs> you know, it was just, just an off-the-wall statement. You wow. know? And, I mean, just the mind of Jerry Garcia, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, there's a f- interview of me. I was a guest disc jockey on a, t- on a radio show in Ventura, and I did an hour interview of Garcia, and I. it was pre-taped. But there's an hour interview floating around somewhere of me and Garcia, and I can't find it. I'm getting ready to go through all my archives. I got so much shit, John. You know, I'm going to go through all my archives, and I've got these, uh, I've got these tapes of all these informants like taping me, you know, mm-hmm. like in the discovery motion. And I think somewhere in those tapes, Is that Jerry Garcia, Garcia, Garcia wow. tape, I gotta well, go through it all.
0: Talk a little bit, George, just about, uh, about this place. Uh, you know, I mean, this, this, this place means a lot to, to me, me and my family. And I know it has quite a, quite oh, yeah. a reputation yeah, here. It's Deer Lodge, man. It's, yeah.
1: uh, you know, watched it uh, uh, change hands, but, not change uh, uh mission statement, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, uh, in 1977, 78, I started pressing on John. And look, things were so bad in L.A., you couldn't go anywhere. Because of the war. Because of the war. So I, I went to John, and I said, John, I said, I just want you to hear me out. I said, I don't want you to think ill of me for this. I said, we need to make a tactical retreat. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, look, you're a former military, I'm a Marine, Department of Defense. I go, I think we need to move out of this area. I said, Ventura's just waiting for us, man. I go, it's wide open, There's seven bike clubs up there. I go, we go up there and uh, hold court and uh, straighten everything out. We can make the perfect Hell's Angel environment for ourselves.
0: What, what makes a perfect Hell's Angel environment?
1: whatever we say goes <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest uh, you know no friction yeah you know it's just you know say what you mean and mean what you say and uh, a lot of people wouldn't agree with that uh, in other bike clubs law enforcement and even some of the uh, community uh, uh, fathers but you know I had a vision for this place of it being a safe place uh, a, a, a beautiful place for to ride your motorcycle. look at this place for yeah. riding motorcycles man. Yeah. So I say to John, so I bring Animal in on it. And uh, my idea is the Satan Slaves have been talking about becoming Hells Angels for years. So my idea is the Satan Slaves become Hells Angels. Simultaneously, we moved to Ventura. The people investigating us for all the stuff that went on down there suddenly don't realize we moved to Ventura because law enforcement didn't communicate back then. They didn't share anything, got John. It. Ventura County is a whole different world. Yeah, yeah. And I said we go up to Ventura, we start fresh. I said it'll take them ten years to figure it out, and yeah. it did. And they did yeah. figure it out, yeah. and the indictments came later. <laughs> but that's a whole different story. So got Satan Slaves, animal. Got the Oakland heavyweight Sonny, Foo Griffin, uh, uh, different people to endorse the Satan Slaves, patching over to Hell's Angels. So John and I come up with this idea. We're going to have a run at Wheeler's Gorge, and we're wow. going to introduce Hell's Angels Ventura, Hell's Angels at large, to Ventura County. And so you guys all go meet at we Wheeler's go to Gorge. Wheeler's Gorge. We had this big run at Wheeler's. But Wheeler's Gorge,
0: Gorge is like a big fucking waterfall. I mean, what, yeah, what, yeah. That, we
1: just went up there and partied, man, yeah. for the weekend. The cops were going crazy.
0: I can't even imagine. Yeah,
1: it was just incredible. This was 1977. I've got a. I think I have a poster in my pictures or something. I'll send this shit to you. I'll I'll text you and send them to you. You'll love to see them, man. But so that's how Ventura County got introduced to, you know, about 300 California Hells Angels uh, uh, coming here and partying, and everybody just swarming this place, you know. And you know what? I think they liked this. Mm -hmm. Um, Here I am, you Mm -hmm. know, 40, 50 years later. I don't know how long it's been. 1977, you know, we're going into 2023. And what about this place specifically? Well, you know, I mentioned when I got here, you know, Beverly and I came and saw uh, uh, Bill Callahan here uh, last week. I mean, incredible lyrics, uh, incredible performance. Uh, you know, been coming here. They had the house band. They used to have this band called Studebaker that uh, 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 just kicked ass. Uh, then you had the Bombers. Uh, later, that was a band. Was big local. These are local bands. Now you got Charman, yeah, uh, Char- who's uh, uh, Beverly's uh, grandson's, the bass player for Man. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, we were just up here, what a week ago?
0: Was this place? Was this a Hell's Angels? Yeah,
1: this was one of our bars. Yeah, and you know you. you you know, I heard like right thing. there,
0: there's a there's a there's a safe down there. I mean, that's sort of what the rumor is. Like right there, that's a safe where you guys used to keep stuff.
1: Well, that's a <laughs> uh, it's a tunnel. Oh, it's a tunnel. No, it's uh, a <laughs> <yeah. laughs> tunnel. It, it, well, there's 16 know. Mongols down there. Exactly. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't go yeah, down right. there, George. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you know what we do? We'll get Gahalder Bavir and we'll open the vault. <laughs> there you go. There we go.
0: There you go. Stuff his ass <laughs> in
1: it. Oh uh, my house. One of the informants told uh, law enforcement he was trading information to get out of his problem and uh, and uh, along with the information he was getting money and whatnot and so I don't know where he pulled it I said there was a body buried uh, uh, in my house in Oakville and uh, when I got back from prison in Texas I wanted to go by there and reminisce and uh, they flattened the whole house they took right. out the pool all the structures, Uh, dug up the land looking for the body. Wow. And needless to say, there was no body body. there. But uh, it, uh, this Mm. is, you know, this is, you know, people, you know, you get in the courtroom and uh, the prosecutors, you know, you know, they say, well, you've got to make a deal with the devil to get these kind of guys, you know, and and they truly are making a deal with the devil because these guys have no morals, no ethics, uh, you know, they're not doing this because they've got religion or they've had an epiphany that they want to do the right thing for society. These guys are doing this because they got themselves in a jam mm-hmm. and they want to get out of it, they want to extract themselves from their own uh, judicial problems and they want money in the process. You're talking about guys who informants. Inform. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know I've had a, and,
0: and and for and for a while there you, you know when when you left and you went into bad standing were people, were yeah, people, people trying were to accuse saying, you that that's what you were doing? Yeah,
1: they, they accused me of being an informant. You know, my response to them was, well, if I was an informant, don't you think all the high echelon guys would be locked up right now? And I go, has anybody got in trouble? Plus, you're still right here. Yeah. You're I mean, right here. You're yeah, not running from you know, anybody. No, I yeah. won't run from anybody. And You know, whether that's good or bad or indifferent, uh, uh, I don't mean any disrespect to anyone and I'm not challenging anybody but I got nothing to hide. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I was offered a lot of money, John, by the government uh, to become a witness. They said their exact words were, we know, you know where the bodies are buried. Uh, You name, what do you want? This was in 2011 when I got arrested. And uh, uh, they had a tape recorder on the table and they said, there's a murder contract, make a deal with this and we'll push play and you can hear uh, who's conspiring against you in your own club. And I looked at him and I said, you know what, I'll take my chances on the street, because I know how those guys operate. Uh, They're very duplicit, they have their own agenda, and uh, when they're done with you, uh, they're done with you.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. That's right. And your code's your code.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I uh, lived uh, on the street by the codes of the street, and that's how I want to go out. You know, I write these books, Uh, I don't compromise anybody in what I say, and uh, I uh, am going to uh, say a few things uh, in this new book, but the people, the players are dead, you know, they can't uh, indict them, and I'll tell you, historically in the criminal world, when... Somebody dies, they wind up taking the heat for uh, everybody. Oh, he did everything, (laughs) you know. I didn't do anything. Is the standard uh, uh, saying? So, you know, I've never. I didn't compromise anybody on uh, Outlaw Chronicles. I didn't compromise anybody on my stage play.
0: Uh, What's the uh, What's the biggest misconception about the Hell's Angels or the 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 Outlaw Biker World?
1: Well, I, I think there's, you know, the dirty clothes is, you know, something that left ages ago, decades ago, uh, sharing our women. Uh, that was, never saw that happening. I mean, uh, certainly pr- provocative women in the club, but, you know, not anybody's wife or girlfriend. Uh, and I'm not saying anything bad about those provocative women. No, God they bless They were them. who they are. Never compromise anybody. I don't want anybody to get in trouble for me. And I'll tell you, you know, guy... I mentioned Guy earlier, Castellon, uh, from this. He was the president of San Diego, probably one of the fiercest guys I've ever met. No nonsense. Uh, uh, as a leader, he led from the front. And uh, I just was writing about him last week, so he's on my mind. But uh, went to prison for machine gunning jingles and red beard off their bikes on the freeway. Um, he's kind the of the one who did it? One, yeah, he's the one who did it. You know, went and did the time for it. And uh, uh, he. Till the very end, I was told. He died of cancer here a couple of years ago. He would stand up in the meetings anytime they say, anybody said anything derogatory about me. And he goes, when are you guys going to wake up? He goes, we'd all be in jail if he was doing that stuff. He goes, what's wrong with you, man? And he goes, you know where he's at. He's not hiding. I know where he's at. And he goes, let's stop this bullshit. And, uh, you know, I remember... That communicated with me after he called me and told me a guy died, and he just said, I want you to know he goes guy backed you till the end, yeah. and uh, and I said yeah and I you know, I think about him often. You know, gorgeous guy was his name, hmm. good-looking uh, Italian guy. You know, you know and, we, we, we started off the
0: conversation. You guys were talking about kids, and I, I'm just wondering, can you just talk to me a little bit about uh, fatherhood? And I, we mentioned you know one one of your daughters represented you, yeah. uh, you know i'm I'm interesting in, in how that felt uh what was it like to raise kids in that world you said you know, you know your son your son was a member right. you know uh I mean, you know, it's very complex I uh,
1: uh it's a delicate balancing act and uh I'll tell you uh i I'm very open minded uh I like my children as I like uh, the women in my life to be their own person you know uh, uh to blossom and uh, to follow their own path. Uh, I, my daughter, I'll tell you an example. When the war was going on with uh, the Mongols, my first wife, Cheryl, my high school sweetheart, who Beverly was good friends with as well, uh, was getting on me. She goes, you know, this club thing has taken over your life. Uh, you spend no time with us. I read about all this stuff in the newspapers. I hear about it on the radio, TV. You won't talk about it. She goes, "Who are we now?" You know, and uh, so I wanted to uh, uh, show her who I was. I, you know, I wanted to spend some time with him, and you know, it was just the Hell's Angel lifestyle. I so I go down. I always drove a real low-key type vehicle. You know, I, I still do to this day, but. Uh, I actually don't have a vehicle this day I, I when I left to Spain, I didn't drive in Spain for three years, and I kind of liked uh, coming back uh starting over but anyways, I'm getting off track so I took the kids to Santa Monica, took them to the pier on the carousel and you know all that stuff uh and on the way home, I was driving with the family and uh some guy cut me off once cut me off again, gave me the finger. and I'm just biting my tongue, John. You know, you can imagine, I'm in my 20s. I'm in the midst of this war. Uh, I want to spend a nice quiet day with the family and uh, give you some insight into my daughter and my relationship with my daughter. Uh, The guy cut me off, slammed his brakes on. There was a car in front of him. And then he turned around and he gave me the finger. That's it. I can't take it no more. So I jumped out of the car. He rolled the window up, and he's giving me the finger still. But he made a, an error. He forgot to lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> so I opened the door. You know, I pull him out at a forty-five degree angle, give him a couple of head slams, and work him over. And you know, I get back in the car. And you know, now my wife Cheryl's like, yeah. just like looking at me, fuming. You know, yeah. Georgie, he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, he's a little kid. Yeah. And there's Mariah like this on the looking at me through the i'm driving i'm looking at the mirror she just like won't take her eyes off me it's been like 20 15 20 minutes and i'm looking at her and then she finally breaks a little smile you know and it was like i get it dad you know so she understands me you know and uh you know it's interesting she graduated from uh law school she was the youngest graduate ever in uh Past the California bars. She was 22. Wow. Uh, the, uh, feds immediately ATF specifically were trying to figure out a way. They went to the, uh, uh, you know, bar association and we're trying to hold back her license. They go, you can't give this girl a license. Her dad is so-and-so. And, the, you know, they said to their benefit, you know, uh, they said, well, <laughs> we're not going to punish her for his sins. Mm-hmm. You know, she's mm-hmm. her own person. And, uh, she just started in this career of criminal defense. She was going to be a doctor initially. She's at Puget, University of Puget Sound, and she calls me up. This is after I got found guilty, not guilty, in my murder trial in 1987. She's getting ready to go to college, and uh, she calls me up and she says, "Hey, Dad, uh, how would you feel about me coming home?" And I go, oh, "Shit, you're always welcome home." I go, "What's going on? I've been." are you having problems in school? She goes, no. She goes, but I've been doing a lot of thinking. And she goes, I think I want to be a defense attorney. And uh, I said, the defense attorney? She goes, yeah. She goes, I don't like what they did to our family. Wow. And uh, she came home and uh, went to law school and uh, graduated, uh, like I said, at 22, passed the bar. Uh, you know She's worked with some of the best lawyers uh, around. Uh, and we'll go back on Taco now. Uh, Taco had been in prison about five years. He was doing uh, life racketeering. He was doing life, and he was also doing 10 years for ordering my murder. Uh, so he had the life sentence, then he had the 10 year racketeering sentence. And he called my daughter and he goes, Called me, I, excuse me. He called me and said, You know, your uh, daughter's doing uh, unbelievable things, I hear. He goes, you're still on the street after a 59-count indictment? And uh, he goes, how would you feel about her assisting my attorney? Yeah. And uh, I I said, who's your attorney? He told me, uh, Henry Gonzalez, I think out of Florida, a very well-known attorney. And uh, I thought about it for a minute. I said, you know what, Taco, why not? And uh, I said, but i got to ask you a question before you get off the phone. He goes, okay. And I said, look, I know you got a racketeering life sentence. And I said, I know you got 10 years for that hit on me. I go, what are you going to do first? The 10 or the life? He goes, fuck you. <laughs> I said, good talking to you, Taco. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. so, you know, I mean, she's she really created a, a niche for herself. George uh, Christie Third uh, was a Hell's Angel. He was my vice president for a while. Uh... You know, he got voted in on the same day I got voted in. Our anniversaries were uh, together. You know, he was in the club over a decade. He left the club because of how they treated me. And uh, when I say he left the club, he's not the only one that left the club. There's I can name off about 15 guys, uh, rapid session at uh, concession that decided uh, if this is how they're going to treat George after uh, 35 years, 40 years, uh, I don't want any part of it. But uh, – He, uh, great kid, you know, Uh, he uh, was interesting. He had to follow in his sister's footsteps. His sister was a straight-A student, uh, just, you know, shy of a genius, maybe a genius, Uh, and uh, why can't you be like your sister? I get that. Constantly got that. Sure. And uh, he had a learning disability. And uh it uh it was tough on him. He uh somehow had uh lung problems and uh he was thirty nine, he uh I talked to him on the phone, he had the flu, he thought. What he had was pneumonia and he went to sleep and never woke up. His I'm lungs shut so sure, down George. in his sleep. Uh and I you know, I talk about him in my uh stage play. I had a dream about him after he died. And a uh, very profound dream. And uh, it's I wrote it into the play. It's, you know, it's part of the uh, final act. Uh, and, you know, I miss him. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Beverly was talking about uh, uh, We've known each other since we were 12. and you know We've been friends, our families were friends. I was best friends with her husband of 56 years. He just died a few years ago. And our sons were, were friends, best friends. And uh, her son died uh, as well at 39. Right. So, uh, you know, we belong to a club that no parents should have to belong to. That's right. you, know, you don't want to bury your children. I have a... a a transgender child. I've never talked about it publicly, so you get in the scoop here, John. And uh, I, uh, I'm an old school guy. I don't, if I'm gonna insult you, you're gonna know it. That's right. But I do, sometimes I uh, misgender uh, her, his friends. And uh, probably one of the most incredible artists uh, at age uh, 10, I had to take the uh, uh, lights out of uh, their bathroom because they were in their, uh, they would get epiphanies to do uh, these art projects. And uh, the only way I could stop him was to take the light out of the bathroom so he couldn't turn the light on and work. I'd get up at three or four in the morning, I'd hear something and they would be in the bathroom and they did claymation. I have a claymation they did probably age 10 or 11 of uh, someone being led to solitary confinement wow. in the doors shut. Uh, uh, wow. the uh, Just the art that they draw is just incredible. In fact, uh, they are so good, uh, the producers for Outlaw Chronicles uh, used... Uh, them in the uh, graphic uh, wow. design for the show, uh, they actually went, uh, they, they said to me, we're going to get somebody to do this. And I said, well, I think I have somebody for you. <laughs> and on their own merit, they got the job and, you know, flew back with me and, uh, uh, you know, did a lot of the graphics in Outlaw Chronicle.
0: And how old? How old is he?
1: Just going to turn 30. Turn 30? 30. This, this year we'll turn 30. And, and, you, know, and I, you know, I don't know, I'm going to say this and maybe I'm putting my foot in my mouth. But this is to parents. Just a minute. This is to parents with a transgender child. You know, you think you're going through problems. Imagine what that child's going through. And the biggest hurt for me was having to say goodbye to my daughter, and then reintroducing ourselves as my son. And uh, I don't know if that sounds corny. Not or, one bit. Uh, I, uh, and I hope I don't offend anybody uh, from that community. Uh, uh, you know, I love Aubrey, incredible person, you know, and uh, now we 'll get to my youngest, Finn, the rocket scientist, who takes after my uncle, and you know he 's autistic, he didn 't speak until he was five. He's somehow come out of it, uh, talk about a master negotiator uh he doesn't like to be around a lot of people so he created uh this uh he went to chaparral school up here and petitioned them to uh to give him a spot there and he explained his situation you know he didn't like to be around a lot of people Uh, things come in very fast for him uh, with his autism and uh they said no we can't help you well next day i got a phone call they said, "Just Mr. Christie. And I said, yeah, they said, could you send your son Finn over? Uh, we want to talk to him. So he went back over there, <laughs> negotiated himself a spot in that school. Uh, during the course of that, he built his first computer. I think he was 14 at the time when he built his computer. And then he got interested in physics and problems. And, and uh, he created this... Problem and he he asked me to uh, take a look at it. Uh, I'll tell you, John. I had no idea. What I mean, it's just. I'll send you a, a picture of it. It's yeah. like this problem. Might as well
0: send me. I won't know. If, yeah. Uh, and, and
1: so they <laughs> thought possibly he was making this stuff up that it didn't have any uh, wasn't anything. It's was just numbers that right. he was putting together. Simbers. They sent it to uh, somebody local up here. And I got a phone call from this, you know, mathematician. He said, who taught him this? And I said, taught him what? And they go, who taught him how to do these mathematics? And I go, he taught himself on the computer. He started researching it. He goes, this guy's, he's a mathematician. He goes, where does this stuff come from? I said, you have to ask him. I said, I don't even know what he's doing. I would go come in the house and there would be problems on the mirrors on the windows with grease pen. Wow. He'd be doing all these things on the grease board. And I went to one of his problems, and I erased one of the numbers, and like a kid, I did a dicky Bird. <laughs> you know what a Dickie Bird is? <laughs> he comes out, and he said to me, I'm in the front room, and he comes out, and he goes, did you do this? And I go, guilty. And he goes, you need to grow up, man. <laughs> and I said, hey, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told your mom. I ain't ever growing up. Yeah, there you go. There so, you, go. you know, those are my kids in, yeah. a, in a nutshell. I love yeah. them all. Uh, they're all unique. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, they're all from a different decade. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, they're just like, yeah, you got kids, man. Yeah, yeah, they're just like little little humans, man. That's right. Man. That's what they are. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know, John. You know, it uh, Life is strange, man. And, uh, you know, I figure pick a set of morals, pick a uh, destination, paint a vision, don't be afraid to revise it from time to time, but follow it, man, you know, because if you're not, you're full of shit, you know? that's the bottom line, I yeah. guess, I don't know, you know, mm. and I've, some people would argue with me, I've been accused of being full of shit, but, uh, here I, here I am. Yeah, you know, and I I don't mean that from an egotistical standpoint. I mean that from a humble standpoint. I get it. You know, I made a lot of mistakes, but I every mistake I've made, I've learned from, and I haven't repeated. You know, or at least f- tried not to repeat them. There you go. And uh, I uh, I think Ohi, you know, we talked about this place earlier. Mm. Ohi, uh, have you ever checked out the pink moment? Oh yeah. Man, oh man, yeah. you know this. Yeah. It's amazing, them. you know. The yeah. Chumash were up here and uh, uh we should take a lesson from them, you know. And uh What's the lesson we should take? Let nature work its course, yeah. man. You know, and follow your uh follow the little voice inside you, because I think the little voice unless you're crazy, yeah. you know, the little voice is leading you the right way to go. That's right. You know, and uh, you know, sometimes it's a struggle. You want to tell them to shut up. Yeah, there you go. You Should listen to them. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Why you, that's why you tell them to shut up. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to hear what they're saying because you, know I mean? you know they're right. Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: Um, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate this. Hey, I, so you, uh, you, you, you have anything? You, you have anything else for me or? Yeah, we always I just do I want to thank that? you. Oh, come and, on,
1: man. And I, you know, it, I've been around a lot of uh, celebrity people, and uh, I love it when people stay humble. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. You're a good
0: man. Yeah, right back at you, man. It's a real, it's a real honor for me. And, uh, does anybody else have anything for, for George?
1: So this is the stage hook.
0: What's that? The no, stage no, hook. no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, and uh, no, I'm
1: teasing you. Man.